Welcome to our final season one highlights episode of The Learning Journey. My name is Wayne Heinsohn, your host once again today. Now on this edition of the podcast, we'll be heading to Papua New Guinea to speak with Dom Sant, also to Uganda to chat with Alonga Baronsay. But first up, we're off to the UK and our guest is Peter Fryant, Manager of Technical Training and Innovation. And Peter spoke about the role culture and passion plays within MAF. Absolutely right. Yeah, there's a few cultural things I've come across when I've been in MAF now three and a half, nearly four years um, in the role that I'm in. And it's a lot of cultural aspects, as you would imagine, with such a variety of different countries that we work in, different cultures, which is absolutely, I find it absolutely fascinating. Uh, come across new things all the time, uh, which kind of drives me. And I was listening to a previous podcast and we were talking about um, not being able to ask for help. Mm. or the culture of just saying it's okay i'll just sort of carry on and it'll be fine type of thing and not actually asking while someone is training on the job trying to encourage that culture of hey I, yeah i'm not actually trying to do this and i every day i do that <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> i'm gonna do this uh start on google no not google but uh yeah. there's some it's brilliant good. people in the organization to talk to talk to us about the apprentices as they come in so they're engineering apprentices so they're primarily going from one role to training for a different role. What does that look like? I'm guessing that there's not a, a standard, you know, that it looks like, but just overall sort of how does mm. how does that process work? Generally speaking, from our resourcing group, uh, our candidates have had some sort of technical background. They've been fixing their motorbikes in their spare time, or they've been, they've played with Lego even as basic as that, or Meccano or something, you know, as a kid. And they come with this, this general idea of, oh, and just know how to put that together or I know how to take that apart. Whereas the challenge, the big challenge I find is that from our programs, our local staff, sometimes, not always, that's a big generalization, but some, most of the time they haven't had those opportunities. Again, it's yes. about opportunities, opportunities to learn and play and, you know, learn as you play with these, these, you know, things like Lego and Meccano and our Arduinos and Raspberry Pis. And <laughs> some people be sitting there going, what on earth is he talking about? But there's little things as we play with is with kids, we just take for granted. That's not the case always in there. So it's making that transition and trying to make sure that yes, it's about investment in people, but it's also about develop, you know, actually personally developing that person and getting them to think not just a technical way, but, you know, how do they learn in general? And it's been very interesting for me as an instructor. I was an instru instructor before in the RAF, and the learning styles are, are quite different. So let's take the UK, for example, quite theoretical, quite academic, generally speaking, whereas in somewhere like, and I, I know we don't have a program there, but I've, in Colombia, for example, in the Latino culture, it's very oral. And it, it, that does translate into Africa as well sometimes. It's a very oral storytelling culture. Hmm. And so for somebody to learn, you can sit there in a classroom and go, right, it's this and that's that. And, you know, this is how that works. And you take this apart. Whereas in somewhere else, um, not the UK, you have to tell a story and you have to go to present it in a story form and, and you have to involve them. And, you know, it's very... Uh, very face-to-face, -face, very one-to-one, -one, very practical. So it's uh, interesting in the different learning styles. So that's one of the challenges and one of the opportunities as well for us as an organization to develop the way that we learn and also teach. So how did you learn the necessity for that different training style? Was that like trial and error for you? Was it you kind of, <laughs> you know, you, you went in with this British method, you know, to a different country uh -huh. and it just fell flat and you were like, oh, what, what's happening oh, here? Wow. Like <laughs> <laughs> Complete disaster. 
I'll, I'll actually share a story pre-math, if I may. Um, I was teaching, I was, as a civilian, I'd gone back in the, as a civilian to teach uh, Air Force apprentices on fuel systems and the tornado aircraft. And I was teaching what we called the Brit courses, so the traditional RAF apprentices coming through. We also taught the Saudi Air Force as well. Right. And the two worlds were so different. So in a, in a so-called brick course, I would teach to the whole class and I'd say, right, boys, this is our girls. This is it. This is this. This is this. And quite in a fairly academic way. And then we'd go down to the hangar and practice it and it all seemed to work okay. With the Saudis, again, very intelligent people, very, very intelligent. But this, the, the teaching style was totally different. I had to teach to one person in the classroom, the senior person in the class, the perceived senior person in the classroom. So I would teach to this person, him, and then he would teach it to the rest of the class. And I would, I would stand at the, at the front of the classroom, teaching away, teaching away. This is this, this is this, this is this. Right, let's go to the hangar and teach it. But he would say, and the senior man would put his hand up. Oh, what's, what's going on? He said, oh, I'm, I'm just going to, just going to talk to the, the boys for a bit. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> and he would spend another half an hour teaching. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what is going on? So anyway, that, that kind of, that was a bit of, um, and there was some of the things that I would teach that just fell completely flat. Even some of the jokes that I'd throw in just com fell completely flat. And I thought, right, okay, a different approach is needed. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned earlier about technical aptitude, you know, and how important that is. I want to ask, though, where does passion fit on the scale when it comes to being able to train someone or for someone learning? You know, because I just know... Mm not necessarily in aviation, but say like in sports, for example, there are many sports people in various fields that say, look, I'm not the most naturally gifted, but I'm passionate about this particular sport. Mm. And so they almost rise to a level that's beyond their ability because of passion. So I just wonder if, mm. you know, how that fits in maybe in MAF from your experience. That's a really good point, Wayne. I think um, passion is really important, really important aspect of learning as well, because, Yes, you can be less technically adept or, or have a, a, a lesser knowledge of aircraft, let's say, for example. But I love the analogy used with sport because, yes, passion can push you through. And I've, I've seen it many times, actually, as I've been training uh, young people, specifically in aircraft engineering, where they come in from a non-technical background, let's say, and they've come through and they really struggle, whether it's academic or whether it's um, with the hands, you know, struggling with the hand skills uh, side of things, the manual dexterity. The passion drives them through, and it's really interesting to watch, actually. They really want to get to the end of their course. They really want to get to a particular point in their career, let's say. And um, it motivates them, it acts as a motivator. And, and actually, in a few cases I've seen, they will spend extra time because they're passionate. You know, they will spend extra time trying to perfect that particular competency or that particular skill or finding out that particular knowledge and trying to memorize it for an exam or, or whatever. Um, that passion will actually drive them through. And those who don't have the same level of passion or, you know, they're passionate about other things, they don't actually make it. They might be really, really bright. You know, they might have had university degrees or whatever. But um, if they're not as passionate and they're not as engaged with their vision of where they want to go, then uh, often they will fall, not necessarily fall off the scale, but they won't quite do as well. Peter Fryatt was just one of the many guests that we've had on during our first season. And if you've missed any of those episodes, just a reminder that you can have a listen just by going to the previous episode section of your podcast player. Now, another guest on The Learning Journey who spoke about the importance of passion was Dom Sant, Program Safety Manager in Papua New Guinea. For Dom, his passion for all things aviation 
came about relatively early in life thanks to his father, who was a self-professed aviation enthusiast. Yeah, aviation has always been a passion of mine. My dad was uh, an aviation enthusiast, as he likes to be called, definitely not a plane spotter. And he um, took me around lots of airports when I was younger. Uh, and even now I can stand at the front of the airport here and watch one of the big planes take off and think how amazing it is that something that heavy can get up into the sky. Um, so I had a very early interest in all things aviation um, and then mechanical items is, is the other side of things. So I would often be taking things apart. I still remember in my apprenticeship interview telling them that I would always be really keen to take stuff apart and admitting that maybe they don't always go back together again. Um, I'm wondering whether I've made a mistake in telling them that I, <laughs> I can't stick things back together again once I take them apart. Well, I'm very skilled at that as well, Dom. Fantastic at taking things apart. And then somehow I end up with more pieces than I began with. So I'm not really sure what uh, what happens there. Hey, but tell us about like dad being the aviation enthusiast. I love you said he's not a plane spotter, but let's move on. Um, but being the aviation enthusiast, what did you learn from him? You know, just hanging out with him, you know, seeing planes, being around in that sort of atmosphere. What what did you sort of learn from dad? And maybe not even, you know, in a formal sense, because so much of our learning is informally acquired. Yeah, I always remember whenever I, I speak to my dad, even now, his encyclopedic knowledge of aeroplanes of all types and sizes and you you send him a picture he'll tell you exactly what it is and tell you where the company is based um, and just over the years he has built up this incredible knowledge just because he's passionate about it it's never been his job so all of the things that he's learned all of this incredible knowledge that he's built up is because he's really passionate about it and it's something that he loves to be involved with um, and I think, yeah, seeing that acted out has been a real part of my life and my love of aviation as well. And that's one of the things actually we've touched on on a previous episode of the podcast. I think talking with Peter Fried, it might have been, you know, the importance of passion that sometimes it's the bridge between the skills that you have and the skills that you need. You know, passion can actually be the thing that sort of bridges that gap. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's the passion and then there's finding that little niche where you fit well, isn't there? Finding the roles that fit your skill set and your personality well. Um, I think those two things are really, really important uh, rather than just the technical expertise, because if you enjoy your job and you're passionate about it, you quite quickly learn how to do the, the doing part of it. Yeah. Hey, I mentioned earlier, because this fascinates me, I, I've done some reading to prepare for our chat today that you went from stripping and building, I think, uh, jet engines to working on submarines. Talk to us about that transition. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I switched into nuclear, so still the same company, Rolls-Royce. A little-known secret, Rolls-Royce make the nuclear reactors for the nuclear submarine. So I finished my time on the shop floor doing uh, building jet engines, and I went into the office and started helping with the training and competency system. Um, but quite quickly got bored of, of that system and um, just wasn't the right fit. So I was looking around at different opportunities. I was at a real crossroads in my career. Um, so I was a project engineer for a while, uh, but then really missed the operations side of things, missed seeing things going out on the shop floor and, and the real hustle and bustle of operations. So I applied for a role in the, uh, in the facility that does nuclear processing of, of uranium and things like that. Um, and this whole time is just a continual barrage of the senses of learning new things and getting to grips with new regulations and so many great mentors over the years to show you how you have to do things. I still remember day one turning up in my new role as, as managing one of the uranium processing plant and 
something quite minor went wrong and the guy who had been there a long time was able to kind of articulate um, in a very British way, right, you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then you need to do this. And I just remember standing there thinking, how on earth am I going to be able to get to that stage that this person's at, where they could just reflex, they knew who to call, they knew what their number was, and they would get hold of them and they would deal with this issue really quickly. Within a year, 18 months, that was me. I was able to do that because it was, again, it's part of the learning journey, isn't it? Is you pick up these skills and then become more reflective and you take those pieces of knowledge and they kind of just embed themselves somewhere in the back of your brain, ready to pop up when the, when the time is right. I'm excited that season two of The Learning Journey is just a couple of weeks away. We're going to have new guests sharing their MAF story. And if you've got one that you'd love to share during the new season, we want to hear from you. You can email learning.development at maffin.org. Now, our final guest in this special edition of The Learning Journey is Alonka Baranse, Area HR Manager in Uganda. Alonka's passion shone through when we chatted, especially in the area of learning and development. There is, of course, always the operational pressure, and that's also why we're here. We want to fly. We want to serve the people with the planes. So we have busy. We, we're busy. We're busy in South Sudan. Uh, we're busy here in Kenya, in in uh, in Tanzania. Um, so that's a priority. And sometimes in the past also. Uh, that has overtaken uh, even setting up training sessions and even making time for people to take time for learning. But I think that culture has changed and is there is much more of a learning culture and people like people enjoy it. Yeah, not everybody. It's and it's also not for everybody. So we do what we can. But I can definitely see with very many of the teams that we are working in. There's a there's much more a culture of and and the keenness to learn more and uh, the feedback we're getting after training courses and after people have done any of the training is definitely positive. Yes. So Alonka, from what you've seen, can you speak to someone who maybe says, "Oh, look, yeah, I want to do that learning, but you don't understand how busy my week is already. I just don't have any time, you know, to put learning into what is already." a jam-packed schedule. So can you kind of speak to that person in terms of the importance of continual learning? Again, we are all different. So we learn in different ways. I am so passionate about learning new things and using the tool that tools that we've been given and putting them into practice. So we just really like to encourage people. And maybe if it's hard by yourself, make a little group do it together. I think sometimes it definitely in the teams that we work in that could work better. So sit together and there is, you can make time. In our busy schedules, there are times uh, maybe after lunch or when all the planes are back in or in the morning once they've departed and you're waiting for the planes to return, there are times that we can create a learning environment and do some of that. Yeah, I, I really believe that. Yeah. I don't want to underestimate ever how busy people can be. I don't want to say that's not what I'm saying, really, because I can see and and like accounts, you know, finances, uh, IT. It never stops. It doesn't. It's a continuous, and you know it. We can always be busy with work, but we can also create space. I like our Outlook calendar very much, and I do believe that we can use the calendar to put even if it's two times half an hour or something like that in our calendar to create some learning time, yes. I think it's important to actually be deliberate in terms of putting that time into your calendar. Now, Alonka, you just mentioned your passion for learning. Where does that come from? I'm a nurse by profession. 
So I think in me being on the floor and as a nurse, there is always a continued, it's like a CPD, it's a continued professional development, right? You cannot be a nurse and then stay doing what you're doing now compared to what you did 10 years ago that is changing. I believe it's exactly like that in MAF, in the work we do, things change. And with that, we need to develop. I've always just really enjoyed doing that. Even before I was a trained trainer in MAF, I did uh, courses in pastoral care and cognitive behavioral therapy, just getting certificates. I don't even know where it comes from. I just like to keep my brain busy, I guess. It's just a personal thing as well. But I believe that in every organization we work in, in every job we're doing, we do also need to keep growing and developing. And it's more fulfilling, I think. Keep your brain busy. That's a good uh, name for a podcast. We should use that at some point. Right? <laughs> we could make a TED Talk a TED talk out of that, uh, Wayne. Yeah, that's it. How to keep your brain busy. I can see it coming to TED Talk soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Hey, one last thought from you. What encouragement might you give to someone? Either they're, they're really struggling with the concept of learning and development, can't really see the the value in it amongst everything else, or they're not really sure what's the next step to take. They've got some passion, like you've mentioned during our chat today, but they really don't know, you know, how do I embrace that? What do I do? What's next? Again, in phases of the lives we're in and also the phase of life we're in, that can be a hard one because sometimes we just have to keep going. Not everything in the in our lives is always fun and we're completely excited about and we're passionate. No, it's not. Sometimes we just need to go to work and open a laptop or open a toolbox and do the work that God's been given us. I think life is better with learning more about what you're doing or maybe something you're not doing yet. Uh, I would say start browsing Start just looking online if you have a minute. I love good practice. I love that that website mostly because it has very, I don't like saying soft skills, hard skills, but soft skills. If you want to personally develop yourself in certain skills, look at good practice. There's so much stuff there. If you want to develop more in having good tools for your job, look at Elevate. And just see if, if anything makes sense or ask advice from somebody who's maybe been doing it for longer. We've got really good line managers in the different teams that we work in. Ask them for some advice. And maybe there's just some moments that it will just click and, oh, yes, I can learn more from this. Or maybe I should sign up for this. Uh, I think performance development uh, reviews are always a good time to also think about that. What are you good at? What do you maybe need to develop in more? And in, in our different teams, we can help with maybe looking for a course, looking for some further training, looking for something that can help you develop. So, yeah, just a few thoughts. A very big thank you to Alonka, as well as Dom Sant and Peter Fryatt for joining us on the learning journey this season. It's been so encouraging to see their passion for MAF filtering down into teams and programs in which we serve. And if you're passionate about your role at MAF and you've got a story that you would love to share on the new season, please reach out to learning.development at mafint.org. Thanks again for your company today. We look forward to seeing you next time as we begin a brand new season of The Learning Journey.